Okay, there we go. All right. I, I teach a Sunday school class, and uh, the oldest are in their 90s. The youngest is me. And uh, they put me on a speaker because the last teacher was kind of quiet. And they're going, you don't need that. I go, yeah, I'm kind of loud. Um, but a new identity and a living hope is what God brings to us when we come to know him as Lord and Savior. Uh, I have four son-in-laws, and I, I'm covered no matter who's in charge. Uh, my first son-in-law, he's Hispanic. My second son-in-law is Filipino. My third son-in-law, he's Iowanian, uh, Midwestern. You know him as J Pastor Josh. And my last son-in-law is Nat. And he's a, just a Florida boy. And uh, so it's fun to go through all of the, the different lives and the backgrounds. And God has taken us overseas and everywhere. And it's, uh, my wife says I don't have any culture. I eat my way through culture. If you have something good, and, and it's really interesting because my daughters kind of collected, whoop, whoop. You know, the kids do that thing where they flip the bottle. I don't. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, my, my one son-in-law, we were talking in the house, and uh, it's kind of neat how God adds stuff. When you grow up as a pastor's kid, they'll go, Dad, don't you dare you sat in the pulpit. Okay. But I tend to fib. And next thing I know, I use them as my sermon illustration. And so I asked Mario, I said, can I use that? And he goes, yeah, <laughs> I guess so. But he has kind of a varied background. When I say he's Hispanic, his family comes, his dad comes from Chihuahua, Chihuahua, Cuchillo, Prado in Mexico. And he says, you know, Pancho Villa wasn't a bad guy to our family because his grandfather would collect horses and Pancho Villa, and they have the letters from him. He said, I'll be there in 20 days, have 40 horses for me. And they would switch out the horses. And um, then his mother's family was from Las Vegas, New Mexico. And uh, his uncle, Al, Uncle Al, I said, Al, you've never been to Mexico, but you sound more Mexican than Mexicans. And... Uh, Brother Al, Las Vegas has a special accent, you know. And yeah, you like that. And uh, so his family is Hispanic, but uh, also American because the Montoyas settled New Mexico in the 1700s. He said, y'all just moved the border, you know. And so his family is very varied. And so as he grew up in, in Denver and uh, with his dad, and then they moved to... Uh, Louisiana, and the kids thought they were Chinese because there weren't a lot of Hispanics at that time in Louisiana where they were. And uh, <clears throat> then they moved to Miami, and it was right after Mar Mariel Boat left, and all the Marielitos were coming into Miami and Tampa and, and that. And so he went, they put him in school. And uh, <clears throat> he, uh, his mom, it's great. They speak Spanish all day long. My teacher's Spanish, I speak Spanish. And finally, he was in that class for about two or three weeks. And finally, the teacher messed up and said, Mario, you know, go get me this or that or, or whatever. And he goes, okay. And she goes, you speak English? He goes, yeah, I'm from Denver. <laughs> and uh, so he had quite a very, and then they moved all the way to Lakeland. And in Lakeland, you know, they're saying, what, are you a fruit picker? Because he was Hispanic. And he says, no, my dad was, worked on, in, in the farms, but he drove a combine. 
you know, out in out west. And so his family was kind of all everything, and his one grandmother is Ute. And uh, if you know anything about the Navajos, you know what the word for enemy in Navajo is? Ute. And uh, so he, uh, he said, in my family, you know, I'm American, but I'm a little bit of everything. And my identity, to identify with the Utes who were pretty much had genocide committed against them and the Native Americans, or do I identify with Mexico and the, all of the Mexican revolutions and, and all of that Hispanic, and he's El Norte. And if you know anything about Mexico, you, if you're Chiglango, you're from Mexico City. And uh, so we went to there, and I said, oh, my son-in-law, he's Mexican. Said, oh, he is. And they said, where is he from? And I said, Chihuahua. And they go, oh. Uh, and so, you know, the native cultural prejudice, and he says, and I didn't really know who I was and how I identify as. And, uh, but when they lived in Lakeland, there was a man that came to the house. Raise your hand if you know what a film strip is. There's like three. <laughs> and some people have heard of film strips. But when I was in school, you had film strips. And you, you, they would roll it through this little projector. And this man came to his house, and he was Anglo. And they, he went through the story of the Bible and evangelized their family. And uh, guess what? His dad got saved. His mother got saved. He got saved. His two brothers got saved. And uh, all of a sudden, he was this thing of as a Christian. And uh, then he got wound up getting mixed up with my family. And he said, one of the things that I always looked for was identity. Was I Ute? Was I Hispanic and Mexican? Or was I from Las Vegas and Spanish there? Or he had one German grandfather in there too, thrown into the mix. And he said, but you know what? I never found my identity until I knew that I knew that I was a Christian. My identity was not American, not Mexican, not you. My identity and my loyalty was to Christ. And I summed up my life as a Christian. And today I hope you have an identity as a Christian. And that spans culture and time and background. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you call us to be new creatures, that you give us an identity in Christ and you call us across time and all of these other things and we identify as Christians and as a Christian we come to know you and you sent for us and you give us the Holy Spirit and you give us your word and, and everything goes through that filter. And we ask that as we come to you we can rejoice knowing that our security is in you and in the Holy Spirit and not in the things of this world. We thank you that we come and you love us irregardless of our background, irregardless of our identity. You love us because we're your children. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 9, we start to see our identity coming alive. And he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Aren't you glad that your salvation never diminishes, it never tarnishes, and you don't hold it? 
God does. And he's reserved it in heaven, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times, the power of the Holy Spirit. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having believing, you rejoice. Lost my place. Whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Your identity in Christ should give you great joy. You should rejoice. Uh, I have a problem sometimes with Eeyore Christians. Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore. Oh, the sun's shining. Yeah, we'll probably get a sunburn. It's raining. Man, it's been so dry. Yeah, we'll probably drown. You know, you know these Eeyore Christians. And uh, folks, God doesn't want us to be an Eeyore Christian. He wants us to be a, a happy, celebrated, excited Christian so that we draw all men to him through our life, through our experience, through our talk, through our walk. You see, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us unto a living hope. Uh, I don't know which side of the fence you fell on last weekend, but there's a lot of hope going on. Well, I live in Buckstown, and so our hope was fulfilled. I'm sorry for you guys that are on the other side, but we won, and decisively. And, you know, we, we, we look at that, but there's two ways that hope can be used. It can be hope, hope can be used as a verb... And that's the hope that was going around last week. I hope the Bucks wins. I hope Kansas City wins. I hope my team wins. So disappointed because my green bay messed up. You know, hope is a fleeting thing when it's a verb. But that is not how it's used in this passage. This hope is a noun. And it's a noun for something that has already happened. And my hope is, is built into that reality of Jesus Christ and his, his resurrection. And you understand that, that it is a finished work. It is a living hope that I rest in my Christian identity. It is a done deal. And I love that he says that it's sealed in heaven. If it was sealed in my works, it was sealed in my walk, that'd be a fleeting thing. It would be waffling all the time because I, maybe you're just that iron straight on it I'm a little not there uh, when we start looking at this living hope there's an old hymn and I kind of edited it so you didn't have to hear me sing it because that would be a sad day uh, so but most of our hymns come from poems and cover but it says my hope is built on nothing less but Jesus blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. 
His oath, his covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and stay. That hope is grounded in the finished work of Christ. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. See, uh, there's an old thing that says, don't ever get too close to your heroes. If you got too close to me too long, and my poor wife has been suffering with me for 47 years, she knows all my flaws, all my quirks, well, most of them, and yet she still loves me. And you see, we understand that we, we, we keep that faith and we keep that hope, a living hope, is not some future gift only. Paul said, if in this life only we have hope, we are above all men most miserable. See, if only the things that come into this life are, are where my hope is built, I, I don't keep it there. Verse 4, we read, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You see, there, there's three things. It's imperishable. It's eternal. Uh, it doesn't fade away. Uh, what is reality in this room? Is it the pews you're sitting in? Nope, one day they'll all be gone. Is it the air you breathe right now? Nope, one day that'll all be gone. There'll be a new heaven, a new earth, and it'll all be come back. And it'll be imperishable. It is eternal. It is undefiled. Let me tell you, as we look around in our world, we live in a defiled world. When the Super Bowl came to Tampa Bay several years ago, not this last weekend, it was kind of blasé last weekend, but one of the big things they said was they have the best strip clubs in the world. What a thing to be famous for in Pinellas County is our strip clubs. You understand, when we make things that are against God legal, it doesn't make them right. We, we, we have to understand that it is undefiled, it is pure, uh, and I love James. Every church I've ever been at, I've preached through James, and I have to watch myself or I'll preach on James every week. Pure religion and undefiled is this, that we visit the homeless and we take care of the widows. You understand, it is our actions, it's our purity, it's who we are. The Romans were upset with the Christians for one thing. It says, we don't take care of our elderly, and the Christians do. They not only take care of their elderly, they take care of ours. How you treat the unborn and how you treat those of us that are a little more mature tells really who you are and what type of a, of a civil, civility you are. Do you understand? Undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven. You know, we don't keep it here. It, it's, it's in heaven. Uh, my wife is Miss China. Nothing to do with the country, but she likes China. She likes silver, but she likes to polish silverware. And sometimes I'll come home and she'll have help from our three-year-old and four-year-old granddaughter. And it's a mess because she knows whatever she's cleaned, she has to go back and re-clean. It's untarnished. It doesn't fade. It's kept in heaven. You know, we have a false hope when we place earthly values on our hope. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'll have no more sorrows. Oh, if you come to be a Christian, you'll have no more problems. Oh, when, when you come to know Jesus, you'll have no more worries. No worries. Be happy. Uh, if you turn over a couple of pages back from 1 Peter, you come into James. 
And James chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. I mean, you mean as a Christian, I might have to endure? I don't like that word. I like happy, free, blessed. Sometimes, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. Oh, you mean God intended Job to go through all that hassle, to have his three good friends come and give him grief for all that time, to have his wife say, why don't you just curse God and die? I don't like that. And the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. In the midst of our troubles, in the midst of our struggles, what you don't understand, his mercy and his compassion is there. He hurts with you. He walks with you. His mercy is available. And we need to understand that that's a part of walking the Christian life. And when people see you struggle through, through severe times, then they see the, the, the love of God. They see the perseverance of the Holy Spirit in your life. What is your character of hope? A commentator spoke of how our struggles define us and are an important part of who we are. Don't keep hardship from your children. Don't look at hardship in your life as a curse from God. It may be his blessing. Come to bless you in a way that you have no concept of how that's going to happen. And I know some of the walk of some of you in here, and it's been tough and it's been difficult. And the only thing sustaining you is... is the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, when we're facing, facing hardship and adversity, God can lead us in two ways. Number one is deliverance. Woohoo! That's the one I want. Let me choose God. I want deliverance. Or He can choose to walk through it. Uh, you guys didn't know that I was going to use that song, There is another in the fire. So you sang it so I don't have to. Our, our four-year-old granddaughter that's her favorite song and she will sing it at the top of her lungs and people they hear her sing it because she doesn't really care where she is you know and they're going what is that little girl singing what fire are, are they doing something to her at home you know there's another in the water uh we, we let her go swimming in the pool yesterday or the day before and and when it's too cold she goes oh it's coldy it's coldy and she was crying and I said, can I cry if I have to get in some cold water? I said, I thought there was another in, in the fire, and there's another in the water when I brought her song back to her. And, you know, and, and that's the thing. When we, we will never walk alone if we know Jesus and we know the Holy Spirit. And his people should not walk alone. You, you know, you don't have to have all the When I became a pastor, I thought, oh, man, I have to know all the answers, and I have to say everything that's just right. And I found out that when I try to say something in my own power, I usually say something really stupid. But you understand, you never have to walk alone. You don't have to go through the fire alone. You don't have to go through the, the, the hard times alone. You know, when we respond rightly, we respond like we should. Look at verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various tasks. Paul and Silas sang the, ch the church jail down. They'd been beaten and put in chains. And the poor jailer says, where are you? And Paul says, hey, it's cool. We're here. And his whole family and him and the whole his household got saved. The end of that beating was that that household would be saved. Do you, do you understand? That we rejoice. 
Verse 7 says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire. Do you understand that it's in those tough times that God's going to use you? It's in those tough times through those trials that God's going to use you. Do you know to refine gold it takes over 5,000 degrees? He may turn the heat up on you and he may turn the heat up on me. And we've got to praise him anyway. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego said, Though you put us in the fire and though we praise you, I mean, we perish, we will not praise you. We will praise him. And he looked at it, there's another one in there. Where's that, where's that fourth one come from? And it was Jesus. You understand, he's there in the midst of the fire. But they said, Whether we perish or whether we live, we'll praise only God. And, and, and God stood by them. We, sometimes we have to endure. We, we talk about John on Patmos, and we look at John, and we go, oh, I love 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And he talks to the elect lady. I love the, the gospel of John as he speaks to the world. According to history, and John was boiled alive. Let me tell you, I, we never knew who was going to be at our house when I came home from church, and all the kids from my wrestlers and my daughters, their friends, and and I'd just have meat out, and I'd put it on the grill, and I was trying to do some ribs real fast, so I wrapped them in uh, aluminum foil. Uh, you know how old someone is when they're like me, and they say, I wrapped them in tin foil? You know I'm old. And so I wrapped them in there, and I double-wrapped them, and I was kind of cooking them a little bit faster, and I went to take them off, and I'm not always like I should be, and had the cookie sheet there, and the grippers, and moved it onto the cookie sheet, and opened it up, and then put them back on the grill to kind of dry them out. Now I'm going to get her done. And, and I grabbed that aluminum foil and my thumb went right through the aluminum foil. And all that grease came running out over my thumb. And I'm going, oh my goodness, I have to use the right words. It hurts. And Tony Boatman, a friend, just happened to stop by. And he's a construction worker. so He's got a first aid kit that weighs about 40 pounds in his truck. And I'm going, ah! And he goes out and brings it in and washes it all off and puts enough burn cream ointment on there for your leg and wraps it all up and says, don't take it off for three days. So, okay! Finished cooking my ribs for me, too. I can't imagine. My poor little thumb was boom, 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 boom. It was painful. But I endured, and I'm here to preach again. But listen, John endured, and we got the book of Revelation. Do you understand? God uses that time. Eric Little was an Olympic runner. He was also uh, the son of missionaries in China. And he came to the Olympics, and they said, Oh, you have to run on Sunday. And he said, I'm, I'm sorry, sir, but my family, I kind of run on Sunday. That's the day of the Lord. He was also Irish and Scottish. And, and so he wouldn't run. And so he ran in the next event that he'd not trained for. And guess what? He got gold. But that wasn't the biggest part of his life. He returned to China as a, as a missionary. And when the Japanese came in and took over China, he sent his family home back to Scotland. And he stayed with his church. And he died in that Japanese concentration camp. He endured. And from that, 
there are Chinese churches today that honor Eric Little. God probably didn't call you to die in a Japanese concentration camp, but he's called you to reach the people around you. Do they see you rejoicing? Do they see the love of Jesus in your life? Do, do they see that identity and that living hope of Christ? You see, this is so we can bring him praise and glory and honor. It's not about us. It's about him. And so when our identity is in Christ, then we understand where it's going. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says, Whom having not seen you love. Tom said, unless I see the scars, I won't believe. And Jesus says, here it is. There's the hole. Here's my hand. Come over, put your finger in there. <laughs> Thomas goes, I've had enough. That's, that's, that's okay. He says, it is great that you saw, but those who believe not seeing. That's us. That's you. That's me. Do you, you understand? Whom having not seen, you love. But now you, you don't see him, yet believing you rejoice with great joy. Today, we're here to rejoice. We're here to, to say, God, you have touched my life. You have changed my life. You've taken me through the times of, of, of hardness. And because of that, we can share that with the world. Believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You understand God is doing all this to save you and to bring you to him. If we look at 1 Peter 1, 3, where we start, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Rejoice, praise, even while enduring, because we have a living hope secure in heaven, unfading. One last illustration, and I'm going to close. My wife's walking partner she met because we're not smart enough not to talk to people that are strangers, and then they're no longer strangers, and her walking partner was sharing with her, and she's a few years older than, than Debbie, and she said, yeah, back in the 70s, I was going through a rough patch, and these two ladies came and knocked at my door, door-to-door -door visitation. That's something the young people do not know. And they answer the door, and the first question they would ask you, do you know if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven? And she goes, no, I'm not real sure. She did not have that hope. And they shared with her the, the hope of salvation. And she goes, I've done that. I, I, I know Jesus as my Savior, but she did not rejoice. She did not have the happiness. And they discipled her, and they brought her along. And here, 50 years later, she meets my wife, and she's still rejoicing. She's still praising Jesus. But what if those ladies had not knocked on her door? She might have known Jesus, but she wasn't able to rejoice. She wasn't able to have the joy of her salvation. And now she's continuing, and guess what? She's sharing with everybody. Do you see how it's infectious? And it should be. We have that living hope. They have that identity with Jesus Christ. I hope today that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior that you rejoice in that fact, that your family rejoices with you. Those around you think you're a little weird because you rejoice in that. You understand that? That's what happens. Because in the midst of COVID-19 and all of this strangeness that's going on, we're not overwhelmed. 
we still rejoice. We still praise Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you that you have given us a living hope that is a noun and not a verb. That only is on things that are happening, but it is what has already happened, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that, I don't have to worry. The worst thing that can happen to me is I'll meet Jesus in, hef- in heaven. I pray that you would in- inspire me that I, in my life and in my, how I live and how I talk and how I act, that I would lift your name and my identity would be consumed in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Because I'm a pretty miserable person. I'm just human. I have failures. I don't always win. And sometimes I do exactly the wrong thing. But I know that my hope is not in my acts, not in all of these things, but in the living hope of Jesus Christ. Help us to share that with those today who are so worried and consumed with life and consumed with everything that's going on from our political structure to our medical structure let us understand that we can rejoice because we know him and he knows us and he holds our eternal security in jesus name we pray amen perhaps you're like my wife's walking friend and you've accepted christ you've made that decision but it has not affected your life in such a way that you rejoice in the midst of hardship. This morning, perhaps you know Jesus, but you've never proclaimed him publicly. And you need to do that. We're going to have an invitation time, and you need to do that. Perhaps you need to say, I've not been rejoicing like I should have. I've been like an Eeyore Christian. Poor me. Why is this happening to me? is so that the righteousness of God might be shown in your life. And if you're having a a good time and he's giving you blessing, you better be rejoicing in that too. You understand, we rejoice, whether on dark days or sunny days, we rejoice. Or perhaps a lot of this just doesn't make sense to you, and you need to know Jesus as your personal personal Lord and Savior. Whatever your need is, you come today as we, we sing. One last illustration. I don't remember a lot of my birthdays because we were poor. and I No, I, I just don't remember them. But when I was 40, on my 40th birthday, I got called to the hospital, and there was a little 7-year-old boy that was dying. I knew the family, coached his uncle in wrestling. Little boy, 7 years old, his liver had shut down. It was becoming necrotic. That means it was starting to decay. The doctor said the only thing that can save him is a transplant, so they're going to fly him to Shands. It was interesting. The grandmother held it together. The mother was a basket case. And, and you're there, and they're, what do you say? You just be there. And so they said, we're going to fly him to Shands and start testing to see who can donate liver and whatever and start moving. We've only got like a three- or four-day window. And uh, it was interesting. Once they said, this is what we're going to do, the grandmother fell apart, and the mother perked up. And, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit, emboldening those for the time. And she said, okay, we have a plan, we're going with it. Flew him to Shands and got there. And We got up there and the doctor says, I want to look at him for a couple of days because something's happening. They were restarted. Didn't get a transplant. Doctor said, I've never seen this before. 
that's when you know that there's a God. And we got to witness to that doctor, the staff, and everyone because we were rejoicing. He's probably 30, 40 years old now. I always think of him as a kid. And my wife says, you know how old he is now? Uh, played quarterback for Lake Gibson High School. Uh, you see, sometimes God delivers and sometimes he walks us through it. But we got to witness to every one of those people on that staff about the love of Jesus. And that's what he wants to do with your life. We do it every day. Make sure you rejoice with somebody today because it's Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm.